This is the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast for July 25th, 2016. If you're an educator, engineer, entrepreneur, or parent who's interested in getting kids into engineering at younger ages, then this is for you. I'm Pius Wong. I'm speaking with Jeff Munn, who's an engineer at the global hardware and software company National Instruments, or NI. Jeff's also a musician and a volunteer for a project to bring robotics education to orphanages in India for marginalized children. That project is an initiative from the nonprofit organizations Science in a Suitcase and the Miracle Foundation. I started the talk by first asking Jeff what he does at NI. At National Instruments, I'm an applications engineer. So I'm in the department that, basically it's a new hire department, it's called the Engineering and Leadership Program. Um, and it's similar to a rotation program that other companies have. So we, part of our job is tech support, that's the main hub of our job, is to do tech support for our customers. Um, and that takes up about half to two-thirds of our day, and the rest of the time we have to choose how to develop. If we want to do R&D projects or marketing projects or sales projects or help develop systems, mm-hmm. we get to choose which paths, and we are encouraged to try out all of them. And then after around two years or so, uh, we typically move on to a more specialized role. So then this other stuff that you do, you volunteer for educational providers? Is that what's Yeah, kind of. So I've always been really into philanthropy. And so with my free time uh, in the engineering leadership program, I seek out uh, ways to be philanthropic through the company. And my company is very philanthropic, or the company itself is. But also beyond that, the company allows um, for its employees to seek out their own philanthropic mm-hmm. uh, ventures. And so that's what this trip is that we're talking about. Uh, there's these two organizations. One is called the Miracle Foundation that works with orphanages in India, helps them go from like where the kids are uh, sick and starving and they, there's no like clean water, that type of stuff, helps get them from that to where the kids are healthy, they have education, they have love, they have food, they have clean water, they have a sewer system that type of stuff, where they're meeting the 12 basic human rights of a child as per the UN resolution. That usually takes a couple of years. And then once, uh, and this is something we just started last year, but once they get uh, an orphanage to this level where it's called in partnership status, where the orphanage is, is meeting all of these things and the kids have abundance of food, abundance of love, abundance of education, where they're not worried about their next meal or they're not worried about getting sick and dying, then they're ready for extra educational um, initiatives. Yeah. So that's where the Miracle Foundation partners with uh, an organization called Science in a Suitcase. Science in a Suitcase was started by some people at National Instruments and uh, some people at Lego Education. And they what they do is they bring STEAM initiatives, and STEAM is science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. So bring them to uh, mostly to underprivileged kids um, in other areas of the world. They've been to Vietnam and... Um, is it focused on international stuff, science in a suitcase, or is it just everywhere? So mostly, uh, but they also have initiatives here in Austin. Okay. Uh, but most, aside from Austin, they do, they usually go international because uh, there's, I think there's more need, there's more opportunity there. Yeah. So what do you do for them? Uh, with science in a suitcase? Yeah. Um, or Miracle Foundation. So this, so these two organizations came together last year um, to put together a program to uh, go over to India and start robotics programs at these orphanages that are now thriving. So that the kids, when they get done with uh, with being in the orphanage after they're 18 or whenever they leave the orphanage, instead of just being alive, you know, oh, I survived, you know, to be 18, I didn't die, yeah. so now what? Now what do I do? I'm still still poverty. Now I have to go out and look for food on my own. You know, mm-hmm. maybe I, you know, hopefully we'll find a place to live. So instead of that, which is a very real 
thing in India, being that the, the India still has a class system. It's technically illegal, but it's still there. And the orphan, orphans are the untouchables. They're lower than the lowest class. So nobody will help them and nobody will do anything. And because of corruption, they've made adoption illegal. So these kids are stuck. Wow. Um, so, uh, so the idea is if we can go and, and go beyond the education they're already getting and give them marketable skills or help them to gain marketable skills in engineering or robotics specifically, then when they get done with the, with the orphanage, they have a better chance of going to a college. They have a better chance of getting a decent job and having, getting out of the cycle of poverty so that they can start a family so that their children aren't orphans. Right. What are the kinds of things that you teach him? Like what's in the science in a suitcase? So there's two different things. So for this, for this trip specifically, this is, uh, we use, uh, Lego We Do Robotics. I haven't heard of that. In America, so we have, we developed National Instruments partnered with Lego Education several years ago, like 10 years ago or something like that, and, uh, and developed, um. Those Mindstorm kids, right? Yeah, Mindstorms. Okay. Right. And so Mindstorms is for, I think the ages are like 8 to 14, 8 to 15, something like that. So for the younger kids, there's Lego We Do. It's even simpler. Um, the robot stays connected to the, to the computer via USB. Um, it's simpler robots, smaller pieces. The software is, is bigger, simpler parts. Um, and it's designed for like elementary school age kids. Um, it's called Lego We Do. That's cool. I haven't ever seen those. Is that a new thing or has it been out for a while? No, it's been out for a while. And in fact, uh, Nicole, uh, Richard, she runs Science in a Suitcase. She was the um, R&D project manager that developed the, the oh, okay. Lego We Do software. So that was developed in Austin. Yeah, it That's was developed in Austin. Awesome. And the partnership uh, was with uh, this woman named Lillian, who is Lego Education. So they, they kind of made this, and now they have a nonprofit that, that goes and uses it. Uh, okay. So it kind of, it's pretty cool like how this has all come to fruition. Yeah. And um, Nicole always says like she, she never imagined she'd be using her engineering education <laughs> to get to like play with toys. Right. <laughs> so you already went on one trip, right? Yeah, last year. And it was the first year okay. this had ever been done. You didn't we do it piloting again. The program. Yeah. We're going to go to a different orphanage this year. The idea is that it would be sustainable. So um, the, the big, the short version and the big picture is we go there and we teach the teachers mm-hmm. um, how, how to teach this. Uh, we have these flashcards. We've got curriculum. We've got stories, interactive stories that involve programming. So we hike up and, you know, you find this thing and then you can find this egg and then you, uh, you know, got to build a robot to move the egg because it's too heavy. How do we, what robot are we going to build? Oh, look here. We can build a kicker and we can kick the egg. Yeah. That, that type of stuff to get the kids excited. So we teach the teachers how to teach these robotics concepts and mm-hmm. pro, like from, from hardware building to, to programming, gear ratios to software development, all of that. Then we bring in the older kids. So 12 years old through 17 or 18. And we teach while the teachers shadow us. They watch us teach the class. And we have a translator, of course. Right. Um, right. and, uh, and then we do that for about half a day. Then we bring in the other half of the kids and the teachers teach. And we shadow. So they teach the same thing. So we make sure they know how to teach. Yeah. And we do that for a couple days. It's like um, a professional development in a way. Right. And we're teaching the older kids. They're not just becoming um, like robotics experts or whatever you call it. We are teaching them to be mentors. So at the same time with the younger kids, we do what uh, the Science in a Suitcase does Usually, uh, uh, when they're not doing this specific robotics initiative, um, they do these engineering uh, and science kind of games and challenges with the younger kids. Um, and when in India, our challenge was to to find things that using everyday objects. So because they don't have a lot of money, they don't have resources, they can just buy a bunch of robotics kits. They can just buy a bunch of engineering kits. So one example is we it was called a sail car. So it was like a piece of paper and some straws and some um, like popsicle sticks. 
and little lifesaver candies yeah. and tape. Um, and they were to make a car that you blow into the sail and the car goes. And then we did races. So we did a bunch of little games like that where we're getting the little kids excited about engineering and all along the way teaching concepts like we said at measurement. You know, what if we make six hash marks at this distance? And what if we make six, ha- six hash marks at this distance? Both cars went six, but you can see one car went further. Right. So how do we, you know, what should we do? And the kid's like, we should make it the same distance. Aha! <laughs> Let's make it meters, you yeah. know? And so we teach them engineering units, yeah. that kind of stuff. And so they get excited. And then the long-term goal, this has been happening after we left, is now, so once a week or so, I'm not sure the exact schedule, once a week or so, the older kids have a robotics lesson um, with the teachers, and then they can work on stuff. And then about once a month, the younger kids get a couple hours to go learn robotics, and some of the older kids teach that to the younger kids. They're the mentors. And so it's a cycle. That's really The teachers teach the older kids, older kids yeah. teach the younger kids. Do you kids. have teachers on your team? Because it sounds like there's some pedagogical tricks, tips and tricks that like your team has heard before. Uh, so we have the, the third person from Science in a Suitcase I haven't mentioned yet is Antonio Delgado, and uh-huh. he does have a, a pedagogical uh, history. So he's he's been a teacher before, okay. and he understands that. And also, last year, one of the people that went on the trip, um, he also had experience teaching and educating children, and he also had several kids. He's a little, he's a, like older guy than, than us. Okay. Um, so he had, I think, three kids in high school or college or something. So he had been through teaching yeah. younger kids and doing home. Like, they went to school, obviously, but he was always helping them with their education at home. Sure. And because he's vol- a volunteer, he's really into it, but he's probably trying to be really good and learning all about the best ways to teach and that kind of thing. Yeah, and he was great. He actually has since retired from National Instruments to do philanthropy full-time. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Maybe <laughs> He's I really inspired by the trip. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. His name is uh, Paul Austin. So. Paul Austin, like yeah. the city of Austin? The city of Austin, yeah. That's perfect. Is it different teaching kids in India compared to here? India, India is a very, very, very different country. Sure. And with the class system, you know, as well. So you don't realize, like, the level of poverty that these kids have are on a, on a different level than, than what we see here in America. So, for example, um, we gave them... So the, 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 the computer lab had just been built, like, a month before we showed up. Because uh, there's also Whole Foods does a lot of world philanthropy, mm-hmm. and they this happens to be an orphanage that they also partner with. So Whole Foods had actually gone in and built this computer lab. So one month before we showed up to teach robotics, these kids clicked a mouse for the first time. Huh? They'd never done any of it, so they just taught themselves how to use a computer. And did you notice that when you're trying to teach them how to program stuff in LabVIEW or whatever it is? I mean, no, they they learned so fast they'd already figured it out. Wow, they learned so fast. And so the thing that blew my mind that I didn't even realize is, so we opened these, you know, uh, the the Lego we do kits, which is a kit of like a couple hundred parts, uh-huh. uh, little pieces. Um, and they open it up and they take these Legos and they like didn't know how to put Legos together. They'd never seen Legos. Right. And it's just in, in American culture, it's just assumed right. as a it's kid, a rite of passage is playing with Legos. That's, yeah. that's part of growing up is Legos. And so like, so we just knowing that education, especially engineering is all about figuring stuff out, failing, trying again, failing, trying again until you get it. We just watched these kids struggle mm-hmm. to figure out how these little pieces fit together with the little bumps on them and the little holes in the bottom. And most of them figured it out in a few minutes. And the ones that didn't, we went and helped. Right. Um, but it just blew my mind. It really was like, we all kind of took a step back and it's like, these kids are coming from a very, very different place um, than we came from when we were kids and yeah. than the other kids do. So there's a lot of corruption with um, charity organizations that work with uh, orphanages. 
um, just all, all over the world, not just India, but mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> there's a lot. And so it's important. It, there's a lot of articles I saw recently also that, that warn you about like doing philanthropy, you know, going in as a, as a Westerner who's, who doesn't have a background in social work and education. Uh, it can be very disruptive to go into an orphanage. It's, these kids have, have very, you know, um, a very emotionally difficult backgrounds. Yeah. Um, and it's good for them to have order um, as far, and have a schedule. Um, going to school certain times, you know, when you eat, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and so it can be disruptive. So it's really important to, for the organization that does this to, to spend a lot of time vetting. And the Miracle Foundation is rated the highest possible rating with, uh, like great nonprofits and the other like major, uh, nonprofit ratings organizations. Yeah. Uh, and they just do full, very, very intense vetting. And part of their process, where in, when going from finding an orphanage to work with and then bringing them all the way to the point where they're in, in partner status, like on Barasi, mm-hmm. um, and this year will be called on Wesha, um, and that uh, they part of it is is that they have to have open books, for example. Like if we're mm-hmm. going to give you some money to help develop these programs, we need to see exactly where that money is going and we need to see these benchmarks. And so they just go a little bit at a time, and then once those benchmarks are met, then here's a little bit more money, and we go. And not all, not all orphanages make it. There are some uh, orphanages where, for some reason, the leader doesn't have trust for Western culture, or has ulterior motives, or maybe there's corruption, and that's why they do it little by little. But they've that's that's really hard. So they've there's there unfortunately are some that they've started working with where suddenly the books have been closed, where they the orphanage wants to take the money, but they don't want to tell the Miracle Foundation, how it's being right, spent, and right. the Miracle Foundation isn't able to justify, you know, is, is the money going to the right place? Because there's so much corruption. And at the hardest thing, I've talked to the people there, that it's the hardest conversation that, that some of them have ever had is is saying, well, then we can't work together anymore. Yeah. And, 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 you know. But that's kind of their job then, to, to do a lot of that for you. Um, like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. not my job at all. That's right, right, all yeah. on them. Yeah, well, that's great. So if someone mm-hmm. wanted to support the Miracle Foundation, they can just Google them or something and find yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a, and it's a 501c3. You can yeah. donate. And actually, we for our fundraising, so for this trip, we each raise money. It's about four or $5,000 per person is what we raise. It's a little more than enough, um, but it covers all the airfare and expenses, and we have travel coordinators in India. And India is a very, very difficult country to travel in. Um, and so it's when we're there, in order to really focus on the education and make sure you know we have meetings at night and kind of change the payroll, this this orphanage is like this or this team is like this. So let's maybe we had this plan, but now that we're here, let's change it a little bit to make sure that it works now right. that we, now that we're here. So in order to be able to really focus on that, um, the miracle foundation has people that take care of all of our um, lodging and our transportation. So we don't have to worry about any of that. Um, yeah. and I didn't realize how difficult about after, after the trip last year, a few of us went just traveling, um, and without <laughs> the miracle foundation, you know, supporting us, uh, it was just our own thing, just yeah. like we normally would. And if we had to worry about where we were going to sleep and how we were going to get where we were going, and also and your visas and vaccinations, yeah, all that. Yeah, we did all that beforehand. But it's it's so they they basically take care of everything, and it still has it's a little bit of extra money as well to help support their programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we do fundraisers uh, yeah. to help with that. How so? I know you already talked about this a little bit, mm-hmm. but how does National Instruments fit into this story for this next trip? It's interesting. So this is there's a lot of people that choose to do different types of philanthropy. Uh, officially, the way that they support all of our employees' philanthropy is that they have a matching. So there's a certain amount of money. I don't know if I can say exactly how much it is, but it's a decent amount of money where every year, if I donate up to a certain amount of money, um, they will match it dollar for dollar to any non-controversial, you know, non, non-religious, non-fraternal, non-controversial organization. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or really uh, venture. So even like fraternal or, or religious organizations like Habitat for Humanity or like the Salvation Army, they're doing things that are non-religious and so those are fine. Um, so they just want to make sure they're supporting people that are non-controversial and supporting everyone equally. Mm-hmm. But they match a good amount of money. Um, so that's the way they support all of our philanthropy. But this trip specifically, it was new last year. So they, they allowed us to go on it. So each of us, we're all in different departments. A few of us signed up for the trip. It's up to our individual managers uh, to choose if they want to give us the time off for that. Um, so some of us took unpaid leave. Some of us took vacation, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. And we all made it work. And, uh, and, then, and then the company also, we, did, we do some fundraisers on site at work. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty big company. So we have about 4,500 people in Austin. And our campus has three buildings. Um, and so there's a lot of facilities. It's kind of googly. When you can communicate, they encourage like that kind of thing. It's not like they ban all fundraisers for this type of thing. Right. Yeah. And so last year was uh, we had to be make sure that we weren't spamming everyone. Yeah. We had to be uh, we had to be careful about the way that we phrase things uh, to make sure that it was like we weren't pressuring anybody. Um, you know, it's just like here's something that's going on. We'd love for you to support us and leave it at that. Um, and you know, then we threw some events that we were allowed to promote. Uh, we do a curry cook-off. Uh, we also do a show called Robot Rock, which is going to be, excuse me, it's going to be uh, Tuesday, August 2nd. Okay, this year. awesome. So it coordinates with our company's annual convention called NI Week. Okay. Um, and uh, so it doesn't coordinate with it, it's just the timing is, it's the same week as that. Yeah. So we promote to a lot of our, comp- a lot of the employees that are in town if yeah. it's a cool, and it's, a, it's at the Empire Control Room, so we have, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah, I gotta go see that show. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And so that's a big, so we're able to, and we do people donate to silent auctions. So we do these fundraisers, and the company allows us to promote at work and that kind of stuff. This year they've taken a step a little bit further, and they've approved uh, the Curry Cook-Off as an official approved event. So it doesn't really change very many things other than the fact that we can promote a little, promote it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and I think that we'll see as this becomes um, more of a huge success story. Like it's very, it kind of, it's it's pretty well known within the company. Uh, like most of the four thousand people that are in Austin, even though there's only a dozen of us that go on the trip, most people know about it, aren't yeah. aware of it because it was kind of this big thing that we did, yeah. and it's gotten a lot of publicity, and we've gotten some write ups in the company newsletter. Well, it sounds like a big deal, so that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I can tell that you are super excited about it, so that's good too. Yeah. It's, I, you know, it's, I love it. And I, it's, you know, maybe not, so engineering is, is fun and challenging. And, and as part of my job, we support customers. And I have, you know, certain views. We, each of us have certain views about which companies are doing good things and which companies maybe aren't doing good things and, and different stuff like that. Mm. And so there are definitely, you know, some companies that, I work with that I might not 100% agree with what they're doing with engineering, but I, I help them anyways and I work with them because the big picture of my company is that, you know, we are really supporting uh, engineers and helping engineers solve yeah. the world's greatest engineering challenges. Uh, but what really helps balance it is me being able just to go out and be just wholeheartedly philanthropic and just really feel like I'm making a difference yeah. and really feel like I'm helping. Even if I only help one person, you know, even if I can only see one person that I know I've affected their lives in a positive way, like that just really makes a big difference, I think, to me personally, and it makes a bigger difference to them. Why did you become an engineer? Um, how did you get into that? I, so I've, I've had a weird, I've had a weird path to get where I am. That's all right. I think people have. <laughs> yeah. Um, if so you I want to a, get into it. Sure. I can do, I'll do the brief version of the story. Uh, but I, I was a, I was a professional musician for about 10 years. Um, and I uh, played in a rock band, did some touring and, and worked with record labels and stuff like that. And, but I'll, I've always been good at math. 
Um, like I was, I self-paced and taught myself algebra when I was seven, for example. Um, and my parents were always like, oh, why are you doing music? You have a brain. Wow. <laughs> Not to knock musicians, but okay. Right, you're right. But, you know, they, they always saw me as having more potential, you know. Okay. And I, But I was really passionate, and I love music, and I still play music. This is a really great city for doing both engineering and music. But after a long career, um, what I consider a long career, I things kind of started winding down. Like, my band that I was in for a long time broke up, and I kind of was doing more of the business management side of music at the time. And about the same time I accidentally watched a documentary, I thought it was going to be something else. And it, it turned out to be a documentary on quantum physics, and it changed um, my perspective. It changed what I believe the definition of consciousness, what it means to exist, what our purpose in the world is. It you changed went deep. really deep. Yeah, it hit me. Like I, I watched it like once I saw it the first time. I watched it again like every day for like a week, uh, trying to really, really understand it because these new concepts for me, yeah. uh, like wave particle duality and that type of stuff, um, quantum entanglement. And so I, I got really interested. So I started researching physics just on my own. Um, and I got really, really into it and really into science. And I thought, um, maybe, you know, if I, if I'm smart enough to study physics, you know, which I wasn't sure I was, I was like, I know I like math, but physics is, is different, you know? Um, like if I have the brain to handle science and engineering education, um, then maybe I, there's, maybe I can do more with my life than just stand on the stage and have people clap for me every three or four minutes. Which was my experience yeah. with music. Okay. Um, you know, and our music can change people and, and there's, but the music I was doing, I was just playing rock and roll, you know, so it was, it was helping people have a good time. Some of, some of the songs and some of the lyrics had a really big impact on a few people helping them get through some very difficult times and difficult relationships. And I've had those experiences in my band where there's, you know, girls in the front row crying because the lyrics really touch them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and that's really special. And I read, really appreciate that. Um, but I felt like if I could understand science and physics, on a deeper level, I could do more. I could impact more people and I could do more good for the world so that when, you know, at the end of my life, as I'm looking back on it, I can make a much bigger impact by doing science and music, you know, because I can incorporate both those passions. And that kind of tied into the idea also that um, in my, my music career, I kind of, as a drummer, I kind of hit a ceiling with how much money I was making. I was supporting myself and it was fine. I felt very comfortable. Um, but, uh, but because I wasn't a songwriter, I didn't have royalties that could come in later on. So it was kind of a pay-per-gig type okay, thing. Okay, okay. So if I eventually wanted to start a family, I would need to, in order to make really enough money for a whole family, I would have to be on the road like nine months out of the year, which means I can't really be a good active dad. So mm-hmm. I couldn't do both. Um, so the goal, the long-term goal, which I'm now starting to, to see come kind of fruition, even though I don't have a family yet, um, is is a long-term stable career that, that pays well enough to support a family and that engages me intellectually and that I can have a big impact on the world. And that's the centerpiece of what I do. And that at night and on the weekends and in my other time, I pursue my passion in music. Um, and at the same time, also possibly add income to it by doing some professional gigs, which I also have a couple of bands that are just kind of fun passion bands. And then I have one band that's a professional gig yeah. um, that, that is uh, kind of additional income to engineering. Hey, no, that sounds like a great representation of what engineering can be. So I'm glad you said that. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, that was pretty much it. Are there any questions that you think I should ask future people about how to teach engineering better? Anything you were ever curious about? Yeah, I mean, engineering concepts. So I, I've just learned by watching people who know how to how to do it. Uh, like this, like Paul Austin, who I talked about. Yeah. And watching him teach is like watching a little kid in an adult body. <laughs> like you get so excited and riled up it's like and then if we jump over here then it's this much but what if we jump this way you know and working with with antonio delgado same thing he's just so excited and 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 
and the kids just watch him like he's this cartoon character teaching them, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing. Um, but the challenge is how do you, how do you not only get through to them, but how do you teach in a way where they want to learn? You know, cause if a kid, if a kid wants to learn, a kid wants to learn, you don't have to try hard. A kid wants mm-hmm. to learn math. You just say, okay, look, four plus two equals six. Cause like, okay, got it. Four plus two equals six. You know, but if a kid's like, why do I need math? I like to read, you know, and they're, they're not mutually exclusive, yeah. but the challenge is then how do you get this kid excited about math? Yeah. How do you do four books plus two books? How many books do you get to read now? Six yeah. books. Is that how you connect? Yeah. And that's, I think the challenge is how do you, it's not just forcing kids to learn. It's how do you get them to want to learn in an excited way and then taking it a step further, like as an engineering education, really, in my opinion, engineering education just teaches you how to learn. You learn the fundamentals, but you really learn how to find the information and then you get on, on the job professionally and half the time you're given a project and you're like, I don't know how to do that. And then you look it up and you learn and right. teach yourself. So it's how to teach these kids that, that how to inspire them and show them that learning is fun um, to the point where they don't need you to be standing in front of them explaining a concept. They're going to go out and find ways to learn. Like they're going to find ways to count and add rocks together or count the number of trees or add certain things or keep score at a cricket match, for example, which is India. That's like a challenge for teachers across the board, not just engineering, I feel like. I agree. Yeah. I, what I try to do, and I've, I, one of the things I do through work, and this is through work, is uh, we have... Um, a robotics mentorship program. So we have, we partner with a bunch of local schools in Austin, everywhere from elementary to high school. Um, and then you can sign up for it if it, if it works with your work schedule and go and mentor a robotics classroom or a robotics team. And so I do that with middle schools. Um, last year I did it once a year and now I do it like once a month. Um, right now I'm not doing it at the moment, but what I do is try as much and as hard as possible to relate it to a real world scenario. You know, so like, uh, these kids are building a car that, uh, that needed to go forward, touch a wall, and then come back to the start autonomously using uh, Lego Mindstorms. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so there is the the way that I was taught to approach it is start with the, I don't know what the proper word to use is, but I would say this, the slowest team, the team that's working the most slowly, let's say that, because okay. they're not, they're not the dumbest or the slowest kids. They just maybe as a team, you know, are taking longer to dive in. Start there. And help them and then go, go through the teams going from the, the teams that are the most behind, I guess, you know, up to the smartest team and give them a challenge and then, and then back down to the slowest team again and finish off the day like that. And that kind of helps balance everything out. Uh-huh. So when I get to the, the smartest team, for example, the kids already had the design and they were already going to win. So then I challenged them. I said, okay, what if now everybody has the same software, right? Um, so let's assume that everybody knows how to program as well as you guys do. Let's assume everybody has exactly the same program. What advantages can you give to your robots in order to win this? Let's think about what, you know, let's not think about, okay, we're getting to the wall and getting back. What is it that we're really doing, for example? And they're like, okay, well, we're actually not getting to a wall. We're actually moving a distance. And I was like, what's, what distance are we moving? You know, because your wheels have to start on this line. And they realized that it's not from the line to the wall. It's from, with your wheels in the line, the front of your car to the wall. So the further out the front of your car is, the shorter right. distance your car has oh, to move. Okay, okay. Right? So they started building out from the front <laughs> so to give themselves an advantage. Well, they they thought it was out limits. So they built a super long car. It wasn't sturdy at all. It had a tiny wheel way out in front. <laughs> and then they went and they ended up losing the challenge because their car broke during the challenge. 
And, and I, I, as it was heartbreaking for them, but I was really excited about that because it was a big learning experience. I didn't want them to lose, but <laughs> so I went back and I said, what happened? They're like, well, it broke. And I was like, so let's imagine that where you're now in the real world and somebody wants you to build something that is efficient. What are things that we need to consider? You know, and they realized it's not just about building the most efficient thing. It's all, they're all stability is important. And I was like, what about all these parts? Look at all these extra parts. How much do you think that would cost? Like, mm-hmm. well, I don't know. I'm like, well, it would probably cost more to have 20 parts than 10 parts, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. Okay. So we need to also consider that. And you think so, they really got something out of that? Absolutely. These, okay. these, these, this was the, the smartest group. So it was, it was probably the two smartest kids in the class that for some reason had paired up on the same team, which I don't think was a good idea, but, uh, <laughs> but they did. And they were really, for the very beginning, they were already talking about more advanced concepts and, the yeah. class was a little bit slow for them in the first place. Yeah. That's how it is with, you know, 30 person classrooms. It's yeah. too fast for the slowest kid, too yep. slow for the fastest kid. Notorious problem. I feel like in the mm-hmm. whole podcast session should just be about how to group kids together. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. And, uh, if anyone wants to find out more information, they can Google Miracle Foundation. Right. Or Science in a Suitcase. That's right. And if you're going to, if you're looking into donating to our cause this year, we just set up the page for this year. We haven't really started the fundraising, but it's there. So when you Google the Miracle Foundation, you can also Google uh, like Miracle Foundation India Robotics 2016 or National Instruments Robotics 2016. I forget exactly what it is. And then we'll have a fundraising page there so you can donate directly to this trip and that money get, goes to the whole team in general to help fund uh, awesome. this trip for us. Yeah, maybe I can put in the info in like the, the text description. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, right. thank awesome. you. Awesome. No, thank you so much. And we'll talk again. All right, cool. Thanks. For more on the organizations mentioned in the show, including the fundraising campaign for Science in a Suitcase, you can check out this episode's information for links. If you liked the show, please spread the word about it. Reviewing it on iTunes would be super helpful, as well as subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite player. On Twitter, you can send me comments and suggestions, at Pius Wong. You can also like and share the show on Facebook for updates. The views expressed in this podcast are our own, and they are not necessarily the opinions of any schools, companies, or other organizations with which we might be connected. Our opening music comes from School Zone by the Honorable Sleaze, and our interlude and closing music is from Learn to Live with What You're Not by Steve Combs. Both are used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks for listening, and until next time, take care. Take care.